Hello, wonderful people, and welcome back to Sidecar Stories. I'm going to assume y'all know my name is Sam. It me. Hi, how's it going? There's going to be some people coming in late, I assume, who aren't going to know who this is, but y'all know who this is. It's Sam. Yeah, and if y'all decide to come join me on Mixer, um, don't forget to unmute me when you jump in there. Otherwise, because it starts default muted so that uh, so that nobody gets taken by surprise for any reason. Okay, so I hope I'm sounding good. I believe I am live on all fronts and I am rip roaring ready to go. One bit of disappointing news from this week is that I think I did end up losing a Frankenstein chapter. Um, there's no audio on the video that I can tell, so I might have to re-record that one. But it does mean we're going to lose a lot of that discussion. We're going to carry on. It's going to be all right trying to uh i'm trying to let this thing be a peaceful adventure for both of us for me and for you i want this to be peaceful for us peaceful enjoyable educational and uh with that said let's get this literary bread so as we always do we're starting with a review chapter 26 Jump into the alliterative mix. I don't know how this is happening. I, the third one I did. I did know it was happening. But the, the first two, those took me by surprise. All right, open your eyes. I'm done. Chapter 26, seen and unforeseen. Okay, the eyes thing kind of worked there. I'm going to, I'm, I'm really done. I promise this time. Um, okay, so at the end of chapter 25, Harry had just decided to give his account to Rita Skeeter. Um, he's going to tell her the truth about what happened, and she is being, let's be honest, blackmailed by Hermione into uh, writing the story. And then Hermione, nope, Luna, um, her father is the publisher, editor, editor-in-chief. I don't remember exactly his title, um, uh, but owner, publisher, it's a, it's a pretty small operation. Uh, let's see. He's the editor. Luna calls her father the editor of the Quibbler, so that's what we shall call him as well. So her father, the editor of the Quibbler, um, and this is kind of a a like gossip rag slash ridiculous stories, you know. Um, but uh, that's who's going to print it. It turns out, print it they do, and Harry gets a mixed reaction. There are some people who who definitely are like, yeah, okay, Harry, you're crazy. Like, sit down, be quiet, like go go get out of here. Um, but there are some people who say, you know what? I don't read the quibbler very often, or, you know, I just read your account and you know what? <sighs> there is in fact something to your story. So he's managed to convince some people and it, you know, this is, these are people who are uh, sending him letters and he, he feels kind of distant from it, but then he starts to get support from inside the school. <laughs> uh, uh, Obi Tofu, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and Mixer says, I vote in favor of you starting the chatter breaks with at least one rhyme. Okay, I'm going to have to try and remember that. Oh, that reminds me. Got to get out my, my special chatter break noisemaker. This, by the way, is uh, a gift from my mod. Uh, my mod and, and <laughs> very best friend, Tuna Sunday. Um, he picked that up for me, and that's what I use for my uh, chatter breaks. So, um, I'm leaving you. My office chair has decided I'm leaving now. Um, so Harry feels a little bit disconnected from uh, from this support that he's getting, 
But then he starts to get it from people within the school. Cho, um, Cho says that, you know, it, this must have been a really hard thing to do, which is good for Harry because he and Cho were on pretty rough footing last time they interacted. Um, I believe they also had, who was it? Seamus Finnegan, I think, um, decided that, you know what? I believe Harry as well. Um, and uh, so Harry is feeling pretty good. He's feeling like he's on much better footing now. Let's see what else happens. We've got a pretty rough Quidditch match, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, Ginny says, like, we'd be more, we're going to be much better once you're back on the team, Harry. And, uh, you know, Harry's like, well, I'm, I've got a lifetime ban. And Ginny reminds him, you're banned as long as Umbridge is here. They're different things. Let's see. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. I didn't know that. I didn't know Tuna could put votes in chat for Mixer. All right. Well, if you want to vote, there's the Mixer. There's the Mixer poll. All right. Um, what else? What else? What else has happened here? Um, Harry's having some wacky dreams. Um, but then he has another one of his rough dreams in which there are things happening that he doesn't necessarily understand. Um, he gets woken up by one of Ron's snores, but something happened. Um, he is in his dream. Um, the door is ajar. This is a door that he's been, he's been approaching, um, in his dreams for a long time and suddenly it's open. Um, and he just reaches it when Ron snores and wakes him up. Um, but uh, he doesn't get the end of that dream, at least not in that night. Now, um, as a result of all this quibbler business, the High Inquisitor of Hogwarts, this is, of course, Dolores Jane Umbridge, um, has, <laughs> has decreed any student found in possession of the magazine, the quibbler will be expelled. This is another one of the educational decrees from the Ministry of Magic, and it's, of course, nonsense. But Hermione says, this is fantastic. This is exactly what she shouldn't have done if she didn't want people to read it. Because now she has guaranteed everyone in school is going to read this thing. And uh, depending on how well you remember school, yeah, indeed, that's how it works. <laughs> Let's see. Um... The teachers are, of course, forbidden from mentioning the interview, but some are uh, finding ways to express their feelings about it, um, including Professor Sprout giving Gryffindor 20 points just for handing her a water can. Uh, Flitwick gives him a little bit of candy. Um, Professor Trelawney has suddenly decided that, you know what, Harry's not going to die a miserable death. He's going to live to a ripe old age. He's going to be minister for magic. He's going to have 12 kids. Even she has come around. Um, and, uh, it seems that all of the Gryffindors are pretty much in favor of Harry at this point. But, uh, Harry has another dream now. Um, or perhaps it's a vision. Let me make sure. Let's see. Du -du 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 -du. Fell asleep once. Okay. Yes. So this is a dream. Um, he has a dream that there is a man kneeling in black robes in a little pool of light. And, uh, Harry himself says to this man in a high voice, in a high, cold voice, um, that uh, he's been badly advised and that uh, something has gone wrong and that this man is perhaps somehow involved. But it doesn't sound like this man is being blamed. 
This man's name is Rookwood, apparently, and Rookwood gives up somebody else as the culprit of this failure. Um, but Harry knows that Voldemort is deeply, deeply angry. And someone, at the end of this, is punished. A unanimous vote indeed. Mr. Foos, how's it going? Obitofu? Obitofu, oh. Obitofu just says greetings. Michelle, how's, how's it going? Uh, I'm I'm all kind of marble-mouthed today, so just everybody wish me luck. Would you do me a favor and wish me luck? Thank you. <laughs> Got some cute cats going on in the Discord. All right. Luck wished, says Coop. Appreciate it. Muy apreciado. <laughs> Thanks, Tuna. I got a I got a heart shaped box of chocolates from Tuna Sunday. Um, okay, what else? So uh, he tells Ron about the dream. Um, no, Voldemort's just angry at someone. But um, it turns out Bode was under the Imperious curse. Let's see. Sergius Podmore was arrested for getting through that very same door. So Hermione is essentially picking up that all this is connected. Sturgis Podmore, uh, Bode, who was killed by that plant in his hospital room. Um, unfortunately, it would seem that uh, Rookwood has told Voldemort how to get the weapon. Now, whatever this is, we still don't know, but Hermione is sort of putting it together, and apparently Voldemort knows how to get it now. Um, he has his next Occlumency lesson with Snape. It goes poorly, but not quite as poorly. Um, Snape, of course, does see that Harry has had another dream uh, and gets pretty angry with Harry. Um, he, Harry's not supposed to be having these dreams. He's supposed to be working hard to make sure that he doesn't have the dreams. Um, but he reminds Harry that he is, quote, neither special nor important, and it's not up to him to find out what the Dark Lord is saying to his Death Eaters. Um, the two of them have a, a bit of a bicker about it. And, uh, let's see at the end, he has actually another vision right there in the middle of the occlumency lesson, uh, about suddenly getting through the door. Now they end their lesson as a woman screams from upstairs. And we find that Professor Trelawney has been sacked. She's been fired. Um, of course, it is by Professor Umbridge, and uh, Professor Umbridge is taking a great amount of delight in sending her away. But Dumbledore jumps in and says, no. While the High Inquisitor may have the authority to fire uh, Professor Trelawney, she does not have the authority to send her away. So um, uh, Dumbledore decides that Trelawney will in fact be staying here at Hogwarts. It is her home. She will be staying. And um, reminds Umbridge that, you know, it's actually not up to you to appoint a new teacher. It only is if I can't find a suitable replacement. And I think you'll find I have indeed found a suitable replacement. And the final line of the chapter is, this is Firenze, said Dumbledore happily to a thunderstruck Umbridge. I think you'll find him suitable. Um, I wonder, okay, for, for anyone who knows, uh, this strikes me as a pretty Italian name. Um, is it Firenze or Firenze? Like, I, I, I have the instinct to tag on that, that uh, vowel sound at the end, but um, could well be Firenze. Like, I, I don't know whether or not to drop that noise. Um, but he's a centaur. And, uh, yeah, maybe I'll do it without the E. 
Um, but uh, we know a little bit about the centaurs already, and we know that they have their own um, without the E sound. Okay. Yeah, I'll go with that. Um, sounds like consensus is no E. Yeah, fine with me. Ferenz. Um, but as we know about the centaurs from our brief encounters with them so far, they have their own sort of special brand, but very deep divination um, uh, magic and sort of uh, instinct and insight. It's a very big part of this, this uh, centaur culture, it would seem. And so, as we have concluded our review, I want to remind everyone, my name is Sam, this is Sidecar Stories, and we are reading chapter 27 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix tonight. Um, it is called The Centaur and the Sneak, and if you've got anything you'd like to talk about, feel free to drop it in chat. I've got chat on uh, Discord and Mixer. Both of those groups can find the link um, to the other, if you wish. Um, and uh, we've, got, uh, we've got polls and stuff going on in the Mixer chat. It would seem it would seem we've come to a consensus that I shall indeed be doing some rhymes during my chatter break. So we shall find out how that goes. Not well, I'm predicting. But uh, yeah, if you want to talk about anything, definitely put it in chat. If we can talk about it during a chatter break, I would love to. Otherwise, we'll wait till the end of the chapter and I will cover it there. Now, let us begin, shall we? I'm going, I promise. Chapter 27. The Centaur and the Sneak. I bet you wish you hadn't given up on divination now, don't you, Hermione? Asked Parvati, smirking. It was breakfast time, two days after the sacking of Professor Trelawney, and Parvati was curling her eyelashes around her wand and examining the effect on the back of her spoon. They were to have their first lesson with Ferenz that morning. Ferenz. Not really, said Hermione indifferently, who was reading the Daily Prophet. I never really liked horses. She turned a page of the newspaper and scanned its columns. He's not a centaur. He's, he's not a horse, he's a centaur, said Lavender, looking shocked. A gorgeous centaur, sighed Parvati. Mm, either way, he's got four legs, said Hermione coolly. Anyway, I thought you two were all upset that Trelawney had gone. We are... Lavender assured her. We went up to her office to see her. We took her some daffodils. Not the honking ones that Sprout's got. Nice ones. How is she? Asked Harry. Not very good. Poor thing, said Lavender sympathetically. She was crying and saying that she'd rather leave the castle forever than stay here where Umbridge is, and I don't blame her. Umbridge was horrible to her, wasn't she? I've got a feeling that Umbridge has only started being horrible said Hermione darkly. Uh, impossible, said Ron, who was tucking into a large plate of eggs and bacon. She can't get any worse than she's been already. You mark my words, she's going to want revenge on Dumbledore for appointing a new teacher without consulting her, said Hermione, closing the newspaper. Especially another part human. You saw the look on her face when she saw friends. After breakfast, Hermione departed for her arithmancy class as Harry and Ron followed Parvati and Lavender to the entrance hall, heading for divination. "'Aren't we going up to the North Tower?' asked Ron, looking puzzled, as Parvati passed by the marble staircase. 
Parvati looked at him scornfully over her shoulder. How do you expect Ferenc to climb the ladder? We're in classroom 11 now. It was on the notice board yesterday. Classroom 11 was on the ground floor, along the corridor leading off the entrance hall from the opposite side to the great hall. Harry knew it was one of those classrooms that were never used regularly, and therefore it had the slightly neglected feeling of a cupboard or storeroom. When he entered it behind Ron, he found himself in the middle of a forest clearing, and he was therefore momentarily stunned. What the... The classroom floor had become springily mossy, and trees were growing out of it. Their leafy branches fanned across the ceiling and windows so that the room was full of slanting shafts of soft, dappled green light. The students who had already arrived were sitting on the earthen floor with their backs against the tree trunks or boulders, arms wrapped around their knees or folded across their chests, all looking rather nervous. In the middle of the clearing there were no trees, and there stood Ferenc. Harry Potter, he said, holding out a hand when Harry entered. I'm high, said Harry, shaking hands with the centaur who surveyed him unblinkingly through those astonishingly blue eyes that... But he did not smile. I'm good to see you. And you, said the centaur, inclining his white blonde head. It was told that we would meet again. Harry noticed there was the shadow of a hoof-shaped bruise on Ferenz's chest. As he turned to join the rest of the class on the ground, he saw that they were all looking at him in awe, apparently deeply impressed that he was on speaking terms with Ferenz, whom they seemed to find intimidating. When the door was closed and the last student had sat down on a tree stump beside the waste paper basket, Ferenz gestured around the room. Professor Dumbledore has kindly arranged this classroom for us, said Ferenc, when everyone had settled down. An imitation of my natural habitat. I would have preferred to teach you in the Forbidden Forest, which was, until Monday, my home, but that is no longer possible. Please, uh, sir, said Parvati breathlessly, raising her hand. We're not. We've been in there with Hagrid. We're not frightened. It is not a question of your bravery, said Ferenc, but of my position. I cannot return to the forest. My herd has banished me. Herd? said Lavender in a confused voice. Harry knew she was thinking of cows. What? Oh. Comprehension dawned on her face. There are more of you? she said, stunned. Did Agri breed you like the Thestrals? asked Dean eagerly. Ferenz turned his head very slowly to face Dean, who seemed to realize at once that he had said something very offensive. I didn't... I, I meant... Sorry. Centaurs are not the servants or playthings of humans, said Ferenz quietly. There was a pause, then Parvati raised her hand again. Please, sir, why have the other centaurs banished you? Because I have agreed to work for Professor Dumbledore, said Ferenc. They see this as a betrayal of our kind. <laughs> Ava, there's a bit of Inigo Montoya in Ferenc, for sure. <laughs> I would say that's a pretty close one. Let's see, who am I, who am I working on specifically? It, it's, 
it's kind of a a deeper like deeper less less composed gus from breaking bad i think is what i'd call it harry remembered how nearly four years ago the centaur bane had shouted at Ferenz for allowing harry to ride safely on his back he had called him a common mule he wondered whether it had been bane who kicked Ferenz in the chest let us begin said Ferenz. he swished his long palomino tail raised his hand toward the leafy canopy overhead, then lowered it slowly. And as he did so, the light in the room dimmed, so that they now seemed to be sitting in a forest clearing by twilight, and stars appeared in the ceiling. There were oohs and gasps, and Ron said audibly, Blimey! Lie back on the floor, said Ferenz in his calm voice, and observe the heavens. Here is written, for those who can see it, the fortune of our races. Harry stretched out on his back and gazed upward at the ceiling. <laughs> Mr. Foose and Coop have both hit on Antonio Banderas slash Zorro at the same time. I know that you have learned the names of the planets and their moons in astronomy, said Ferenc's calm voice, and that you have mapped the star's progress to the heavens. Centaurs have unraveled the mysteries of these movements over centuries. Our findings teach us that the future may be a glimpse in the sky above us. Professor Trelawney did astrology with us, said Parvati excitedly, raising her hand in front of her so that it stuck up in the air as she lay on her back. Mars causes accidents and burns and things like that, and when it makes an angle with Saturn, like now, she drew a right angle in the air above her, that means that people need to be extra careful when handling hot things. That, said Ferenc calmly, is human nonsense. Parvati's hand fell limply to her side. Trivial hurts, tiny human accidents, said Ferenc his hooves thudding over the mossy floor. These are of no more significance to this. These are of no more significance than the scurryings of ants to the wide universe, and are therefore unaffected by planetary movements. Professor Trelawney, began Parvati in a hurt and indignant voice, is a human, said Ferenc simply, and is therefore blinkered and fettered by the imitations of your kind limitations of your kind. Harry turned his head very slightly to look at Parvati. She looked very offended, as did several of the people surrounding her. Sibyl Trelawney may have seen, I do not know, continued Ferenc, and Harry heard the swishing of his tail again as he walked up and down before them. But she wastes her time, in the main, on the self-flattering nonsense humans call fortune-telling. I, however, am here to explain the wisdom of the centaurs, which is impersonal and impartial. We watch the skies for the great tides of evil, or change, that are sometimes marked there. It may take ten years to be sure of what we are seeing. Ferenz pointed to the red star directly above Harry. In the past decade, the indications have been that wizard kind is living through nothing more than the brief calm between two wars. Mars, bringer of battle, shines brightly above us, suggesting that the fight might soon break out again. 
it must soon break out again. How soon centaurs may attempt to divine by the burning of certain herbs and leaves, by the observations of fume and flame. It was the most unusual lesson Harry had ever attended. They did indeed burn sage and mallow sweet there on the classroom floor, and Ferenz told them to look for certain shapes and symbols in the pungent fumes, but he seemed perfectly unconcerned that not one of them could see any of the signs he described, telling them that humans were hardly any were hardly ever good at this, that it took centaurs years and years to become competent, and finished by telling them that it was foolish to put too much faith in such things, because even centaurs sometimes read them wrongly. He was nothing like any teacher Harry had ever known. His priority did not seem to be to teach them what he knew, but rather to impress upon them that nothing, not even the centaur's knowledge, was foolproof. It is me, Puss in Boots. I am giving you the look. Look into my eyes. I am very, very cute. And now I stick you with my sword. He's not very definite on anything, is he? Said Ron in a low voice as they put out their mallow sweet fire. I mean, I could do with a few more details about this war that we're supposed to have, couldn't you? The bell rang right outside the classroom door and everyone jumped. Harry had completely forgotten they were still inside the castle, and quite convinced that he was really inside the forest. The class filed out, looking slightly perplexed. Harry and Ron were on the point of following them when Ferenz called, Harry Potter, a word, please. Harry turned. The centaur advanced a little toward him. Ron hesitated. You may stay, Ferenz told him, but close the door, please. Ron hastened to obey. Harry Potter, you are a friend of Hagrid's, are you not? said the centaur. Yes, said Harry. Then give him a warning for me. His attempt is not working. You would do better to abandon it. His attempt is not working, Harry repeated blankly. And he would do better to abandon it, said Ferenc, nodding. I would warn Hagrid myself, but I am banished. It would be unwise for me to go into the forest right now. Hagrid has troubles enough without a centaur's battle. But what's Hagrid attempting to do? said Harry nervously. Ferenc surveyed Harry impassively. Hagrid has recently rendered me a great service, said Ferenc, and he has long since earned my respect for the care that he shows all living creatures. I shall not betray his secret. But he must be brought to his senses. The attempt is not working. Tell him, Harry Potter. Harry Potter. I've got to work out how to say that name, don't I? <laughs> Ferenz has a hard time saying Harry Potter's name. Harry Potter. Good day to you. All right, it's time. I'll try to rhyme. I make no guarantees, but listen to me. Oh, that was a slant. Ugh. For our chatter break... Our first question is going to be this, even though I'm Russian. Oh, boy, that's bad. Ooh, it's so bad. It's so bad what I'm doing right now, and I apologize to everyone. Um, 
Um, what do we think of Ferenz and his art? Divining things that as of yet aren't. <laughs> Looking to the future through Sage and Mallow Sweet. Oh boy. Oh, I dug myself a hole here. What the heck rhymes with Mallow Sweet? Definitely nothing. All right. I think I give it a good go. Let me find one for Mallow Sweet and then I'm going to continue. Oh boy, Coop, you have no idea how painful it is. If you think it's painful on that end, think how painful it is on my end. It's real bad though. Um, uh, looking to the future with Sage and Mallow. Mallow, Sallow, Pallow. That's not real. Oh, insisting humanity sees only shallow images of the future while centaurs gaze far. Divining things on the hoods of their cars. Look, here's my chatterbreak question. Uh, what do we think of this as the, <laughs> as the, uh, um, the difference between sort of centaur and we don't even get the sense that it's necessarily magic. I mean, we know just based on the book that it is, but think about this as, as it would be sort of portrayed in the world. Like the, the, the ceremony of it all is pretty magical feeling, but he almost doesn't present it as magic. But uh, yeah, think about that. And, and uh, because this comes up a lot, actually, in various different um, instances of of fiction, especially when it comes to um, the future. But think about humans and elves, uh, specifically how they're portrayed in like the Lord of the Rings kind of universe. That there is that humans humans think really short term. What do you think of this? Humans that the the, the human idea of fortune telling and of of gazing into the future of astrology and all this. Um, is a short-term pursuit. It's to, to try and find out the small the small details of things that happen sort of in everyday life. Whereas Ferenz says that their version of, of looking near the future is A, understood to be very imprecise. Sounds like the understanding in the wizarding community might be the same way. And Trelawney is the only one who, Trelawney and others like Parvati or Lavender are the only ones who really adhere to it closely. Um, but Centaur the centaur version is long-term and understood as imprecise, and it is considered, uh, you know, like you might go 10 years without really knowing what exactly you're looking at. But the funny thing to me, especially when it comes to this, is that this, of course, centaurs, elves, whether it's, you know, here in Harry Potter or it's it's Tolkien's elves, these are all the the inventions of humans, I'm sorry to pull the veil back, but but uh, they are invented by humans. So, what does it mean that these specific humans are their commentary on humanity is that we are so focused on the short term? Something to think about. Jade Dragon says makes me think of people that try to pass off supernatural woo as science stuff. Yeah, there's there's a decent bit of that out there. Coop says, the perceptive definitely changes with lifespan or span of observation. Oh, perspective. Yeah. Okay. Um, it does indeed. Mr. Foos says, I think it's the same with how many of us view God, whichever God. We think he should help us on a test or get a job, not often asking him to solve world hunger. 
I think there are I think there are both ways, but uh, Coop says we're trying to impress order on things, so we wouldn't bother with fortune fortune telling. We like to impress order on things. Yeah, I think that's right. I think uh, I think we. I don't know. I got I got <laughs> I got too far into my own question because um, I'm I'm just thinking about it now. How how interesting is it that the commentary that Tolkien and and uh, it sounds like Rowling as well are making on humans that uh, we think so short term. Liberty Grace says, I think it's because our lives are so short. We are selfish beings who tend to focus on ourselves. It makes us short-sighted. I think that's the commentary we're getting. Um, it definitely seems like um, when we talk about, like when, when elves are portrayed or when centaurs are portrayed, they're often portrayed as, as being like better in many ways. They're considered as sort of a, a better version of humanity that their their mistakes sort of run deeper, but they don't make them as often. And uh, it seems like centaurs are, the, are portrayed in a similar way that they're sort of you know mystical and that they are um, you know unconcerned with the minor tides and that they are that they are more organized and more more uh, sort of uh, I guess emotionally stable is sort of how they're presented and uh, and so I think when when you attach something like their idea of looking into the future to this i think it's trying to make a commentary on that as well so so i think it's 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 definitely sort of a negative view of how short-sighted humans can be there we go liberty grace is asking are you going to do lord of the rings after harry potter as much as i would love to that would be a heck of an undertaking so I'm absolutely not opposed to it, but I want to do it right. Um, I sort of have two different reading levels, and I think I've mentioned this before, but I've got two different reading levels. There is the the reading level that I can actually read at in my own you know personal time, and then there's the level at which I can read sort of teleprompter style like I'm doing here. And for, I think, understandable reasons, my reading level for this teleprompter style, much lower than that. And so I would have to go take another look at Harry Potter or at uh, Lord of the Rings to sort of figure out, could I even do that. I've been impressing myself with my vintage sidecar stuff. Um, so yeah, check that out on Tuesdays if you want to see me really doing myself proud in uh, Great Gatsby or right now we're reading Frankenstein. Anyway, back to the chapter. The happiness Harry had felt in the aftermath of the Quibbler interview had long since evaporated. As a dull march blurred into an equally... As a dull mer merch... As a dull march blurred into a squally April, there are some really strange adjectives here. His life seemed to have become one long series of worries and troubles again. Umbridge had continued attending all Care of Magical Creatures lessons, so it had been very difficult to deliver friends as warning to Hagrid. At last, Harry managed it by pretending he'd lost his copy of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, and doubling back after class one day. When he'd repeated Ferenz's words, Hagrid gazed at him for a moment through his puffy, blackened eyes, apparently taken aback. Then he seemed to pull himself together. Nice bloke, Ferenz, said he gruffly. But he doesn't know what he's talking about on this. The attempt's coming along fine. Hagrid, what are you up to? asked Harry seriously. Because you've got to be careful. Umbridge has already sacked Trelawney, and if you ask me, she's on a roll. So if you're doing anything that you shouldn't be, you'll be... There's more important things than keeping a job, said Hagrid. 
though his hands shook slightly as he said this, and a basin full of gnarled droppings crashed to the floor. Don't worry about me, Harry. Just get along now, there's a good lad. Harry had no choice but to leave Hagrid mopping up the dung all over his floor, but he felt thoroughly dispirited as he trudged back up to the castle. Meanwhile, as the teachers and Hermione persisted in reminding them, the OWLs were drawing even nearer. All the fifth years were suffering from stress to some degree, but Hannah Abbott became the first to receive a calming draught from Madame Pomfrey after she burst into tears during herbology and sobbed that she was too stupid to take exams and wanted to leave school now. If it had not been for the DA lessons, Harry would have thought that he'd be extremely unhappy. He sometimes felt he was living for the hours he spent in the room of requirement, working hard but thoroughly enjoying himself at the same time, swelling with pride as he looked around at his fellow DA members and how far they had come. Indeed, Harry sometimes wondered how Umbridge was going to react when all of the members of the DA received outstanding in their Defense Against the Dark Arts OWLs. They had finally started work on Patronuses, which everybody had been very keen to practice, though Harry kept reminding them, producing a Patronus in the middle of a brightly lit classroom when they are not under direct threat was very different from producing it when confronted by something like a Dementor. Oh, don't be such a killjoy, said Cho brightly, waving her wand and watching her silvery swan-shaped Patronus soar around the room of requirement during their last lesson before Easter. They're so pretty. They're not supposed to be pretty, they're supposed to protect you said Harry patiently. What we really need is a boggart or something. That's how I learned. I had to conjure a Patronus while the boggart was pretending to be a Dementor. But that would be really scary, said Lavender, who was shooting puffs of silver vapor out of her end, out of the end of her wand. And I still can't do it, she said angrily. Neville was having trouble too. His face was screwed up in concentration, but only feeble wisps of silver smoke issued from the wand tip. You've got to think of something happy, Harry reminded him. I'm trying, said Neville miserably, who was trying so hard his face was actually shining with sweat. Harry, I think I'm doing it, said Seamus, who had been brought along to his first ever DA meeting by Dean. Ah, uh, look, look, look. Oh, it's gone. But it was definitely something Harry. Harry? Hermione's Patronus, a shining silver otter, was gambling around her. I actually don't know how to pronounce that word. How do I pronounce that? It's not gambling like... Yeah, it's, it's pronounced the same way as gambling. But G-A-M-B-O-L-I-N-G. That just means like traipsing. Skipping. <laughs> Let's see. They are sort of nice, aren't they? She said, looking at it fondly. The door of the room of requirement opened and closed. Harry looked round to see who had entered, but there didn't seem to be anybody there. It was a few moments before he realized that the people close to the door had fallen silent. Next thing he knew, someone was tugging at his robes somewhere near the knee. He looked down and saw, to his very great astonishment, Dobby the house elf, peering up at him from beneath his usual eight woolly hats. 
Hi, Dobby, he said. What are you... What's wrong? The elf's eyes were wide with terror, and he was shaking. The members of the DA closest to Harry had fallen silent. Everybody in the room was watching Dobby. The few Patronuses people had managed to conjure faded away into silver mist, leaving the room much darker than before. Harry Potter, sir, squeaked the elf, trembling from head to foot. Harry Potter, sir, Dobby has come to warn you, but the house elves have been warned not to tell. He ran headfirst at the wall. Harry, who had some experience of Dobby's habits of self-punishment, made to seize him, but Dobby merely bounced off the stone, cushioned by his eight hats. Hermione and a few of the other girls let out squeaks of fear and sympathy. "'What's happened, Dobby?' Harry asked, grabbing the house elf's tiny arm and holding him away from anything with which he might seek to hurt himself. "'Harry Potter, she... she...' Dobby hit himself hard in the nose with his free fist. Harry seized that, too. "'Who's she, Dobby?' But he thought he knew. Surely only one she could induce such fear in Dobby. The elf looked up at him, slightly cross-eyed, and mouthed wordlessly. "'Umbridge?' asked Harry, horrified. Dobby nodded, then tried to bang his head on Harry's knees. Harry held him at arm's length. "'What about her, Dobby? She hasn't found out about this. About us. About the D.A.' He read the answer in the elf's stricken face. His hands held fast by Harry, the elf tried to kick himself and fell to the floor. "'Is she coming?' Harry asked quietly. Dobby let out a howl and began beating his bare feet on the floor. "'Yes, Harry Potter, yes!' Harry straightened up and looked around at the motionless, terrified people gazing at the thrashing elf. "'What are you waiting for?' Harry bellowed. "'Run!' They all pelted toward the exit at once, forming a scrum around the door. Then people tried to burst through. Harry could hear them sprinting along the corridors and hoping they had the sense not to try to make it all the way down to their dormitories. It was only ten to nine. If they just took refuge in the library or the owlery, which were both nearer. Harry, come on! shrieked Hermione from the center of the knot of people now fighting to get out. He scooped up Dobby, who was still attempting to do himself serious injury, and ran with the elf in his arms to join the back of the queue. "'Dobby, this is an order. Go back down to the kitchen with the other house elves, and if she asks you whether you warned me, lie and say no,' said Harry. "'And I forbid you to hurt yourself,' he added, dropping the elf as he made over the threshold at last and slammed the door behind him. "'Thank you, Harry Potter,' squeaked Dobby, and he streaked off. Harry glanced left and right. The others were all moving so fast he only caught glimpses of flying heels at either end of the corridor before they banished. Banished. Vanished. He started to run right. There was a boy's bathroom up ahead. He could pretend he'd been in there all the time if he had just... made it. Ah! Something caught him around the ankles and he fell spectacularly, skidding along his front for six feet before coming to a halt. Someone behind him was laughing. He rolled over on his back and saw Malfoy concealed in a niche behind an ugly dragon-shaped vase. Trip jinx, Potter, he said. Hey, Professor! Professor! I've got one! Umbridge came bustling around the far corner. Breathless, but wearing a delighted smile. 
It's him, she said jubilantly at the sight of Harry on the floor. Excellent, Draco, excellent. Oh, very good. Fifty points to Slytherin. I'll take him from here. Stand up, Potter. Harry got to his feet, glaring at the pair of them. He had never seen Umbridge looking so happy. She seized his arm in a vice-like grip and turned, beaming broadly, to Malfoy. You hop along and see if you can round up any more of them, Draco, she said. Tell the others to go look in the library. Anybody out of breath? Check the bathrooms. Miss Parkinson can do the girls' ones. Off you go. And you, she added in her softest, most dangerous voice as Malfoy walked away. You can come with me to the headmaster's office, Potter. They were at the stone gargoyle within minutes. Harry wondered how many of the others had been caught. He thought of Ron. Mrs. Weasley would kill him, and of how Hermione would feel if she had been expelled before she could take her OWLs. And it had been Seamus's very first meeting. And Neville had been getting so good. Fizzing Wisby, sang Umbridge. The stone gargoyle jumped aside. The wall behind split open, and they ascended the moving stone staircase. They reached the polished door with the griffin knocker, but Umbridge did not bother to knock. She strode straight inside, still holding tight to Harry. The office was full of people. Dumbledore was sitting behind his desk, his expression serene, the tips of his long fingers together. Professor McGonagall stood rigidly beside him, her face extremely tense. Cornelius Fudge, Minister for Magic, was rocking backward and forward with his toes beside the fire. Apparently, oh, backward and forward on his toes, not with his toes. That would be nuts. Fudge was apparently immensely pleased with the situation. Kingsley Shacklebolt and a tough-looking wizard with very short, wiry hair, whom Harry did not recognize, were positioned on either side of the door like guards, and the freckled, bespectacled form of Percy Weasley hovered excitedly beside the wall, a quill and a heavy roll of parchment in his hands, apparently poised to take notes. The portraits of old headmasters and headmistresses were not shamming sleep tonight. All of them were alert and serious, and watching what would be happening below them. As Harry entered, a few of the a, f a few flitted into neighboring frames and whispered urgently into their neighbor's ear. Harry pulled himself free of Umbridge's grasp as the door swung shut behind them. Cornelius Fudge was glaring at him with a kind of vicious satisfaction on his face. Uh, well, he said. Uh, well, well, well. Harry replied with the dirtiest look he could muster. His heart drummed madly inside him, but his brain was oddly cool and clear. He was heading back to Gryffindor Tower, said Umbridge. There was an indecent excitement in her voice, the same callous pleasure Harry had heard when he watched her sack Umbridge. Nope, watched her sack Trelawney. In the Great Hall. The Malfoy boy cornered him. Uh, did he? Did he? Said Fudge appreciatively. Uh, I uh, must remember to tell Lucius. Uh, well, Potter, I expect you know why you're here. Harry fully intended to respond with a defiant yes. 
His mouth had opened and the word was half-formed when he caught sight of Dumbledore's face. Dumbledore was not looking directly at Harry. His eyes were fixed on a point just over his shoulder, but as Harry stared at him, he shook his head a fraction of an inch, side to side. Harry changed direction mid-word. No. I I beg, beg your pardon, said Fudge. No, said Harry, firmly. You uh, don't know why you're here. No, I don't, said Harry. Fudge looked incredulously from Harry to Professor Umbridge. Harry took advantage of his momentary inattention to steal another quick look at Dumbledore, who gave the carpet the tiniest of nods and the shadow of a wink. So you you, um, uh, uh, have uh, no idea said Fudge, in a voice positively sagging with sarcasm. Uh, Why, uh, Professor Umbridge has brought you into this office. You are um, not aware that you have broken any school rules. School rules? said Harry. No. Or uh, ministry decrees, amended Fudge angrily. Not that I am aware of, said Harry blandly. His heart was hammering very fast. It was almost worth telling these lies to watch Fudge's blood pressure rising, but he couldn't see how on earth he would get away with them. If somebody had tipped off Umbridge and the DA, if somebody had tipped off Umbridge about the DA, then he, the leader, might as well be packing his trunk right now. So it uh, news to you then, is it? Said Fudge, his voice now thick with anger. That an, an, an illegal student organization has been discovered within this school. Yes, it is," said Harry, hoisting an unconvincing look of innocent surprise onto his face. I think, Minister," said Umbridge silkily from beside him, "that we might make better progress if I fetch our informant." Yes, you do said Fudge, nodding, and he glanced maliciously at Dumbledore as Umbridge left the room. Nothing like a good witness, is there, Dumbledore? Nothing at all, Cornelius, said Dumbledore gravely, inclining his head. There was a wait of several minutes, in which nobody looked at each other. Then Harry heard the door open behind him. Umbridge moved past him into the room, Gripping by the shoulder chose curly-haired friend Marietta, who was holding her face in her hands. Uh, Don't be scared, dear. Don't be frightened, said Professor Umbridge softly, patting her on the back. It's all right now. You have done the right thing. The minister is very pleased with you. He will be telling your mother what a good girl you have been. Ava, I believe it was a reference to that, yes. Marietta's mother, Minister, he added, looking up at Fudge, is Madame Edgecombe from the Department of Magical Transportation, Flu Network Office. She's been helping us police the Hogwarts fires, you know. Uh, uh, Jolly good, uh, jolly good, said Fudge heartily. Like mother, like daughter, eh? Well, uh, come on now, dear. Uh, Look up. Uh, Don't be shy. Let's hear what you've got. Galloping gargoyles! As Marietta raised her head, Fudge leapt backward in shock, nearly landing himself in the fire. He cursed, stamping on the hem of his cloak, which had started to smoke. Marietta gave a wail and pulled the neck of her robes up straight to her eyes. 
but not before everyone had seen her face and how it was horribly disfigured by a series of close-set purple pustules that had spread across her nose and cheeks to form the word sneak. "'Never mind the spots now, dear,' said Umbridge impatiently. "'Just take your robes away from your mouth and tell the minister.' But Marietta gave another muffled wail and shook her head frantically. "'Oh, very well, then, you silly girl. I will tell him,' snapped Umbridge. She hitched her sickly smile back onto her face and said, "'Well, minister, Miss Edgecombe here came to my office shortly after dinner this evening and told me that she had something she wanted to tell me. She said that if I wanted, I could proceed to a secret room on the seventh floor, sometimes known as the Room of Requirement, and I would find out something to my advantage.' I questioned her a little further, and she admitted that there was some kind of meeting there. Unfortunately, at that point, the hex— she waved impatiently at Marietta's concealed face, came into operation, and upon catching sight of her face in my mirror, the girl became too distressed to tell me any more. "'Well, now,' said Fudge, fixing Marietta with what he evidently imagined was some kind of fatherly look. "'It is uh, very brave of you, my dear, coming to tell Professor Umbridge you did uh, exactly the right thing. Now, um, will you tell me uh, w what happened at this meeting? What is its uh, purpose? Who was there?' But Marietta would not speak. She merely shook her head again, her eyes wide and fearful. "'Haven't we got a, 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 a counter-jinx for this?' Fudge asked Umbridge impatiently gesturing at Marietta's face, so that she can speak freely. I have not yet managed to find one, Umbridge admitted grudgingly, and Harry felt a surge of pride in Hermione's jinxing ability. But it doesn't matter if she won't speak. I can take up the story from there. You will remember, Minister, that I sent you a report back in October that Potter had met a number of fellow students in the Hog's Head in Hogsmeade. "'And where is your evidence for that?' cut in Professor McGonagall. "'I have testimony from Willie Widdershins, Minerva, who happened to be in the bar at the same time. "'He was heavily bandaged, it is true, but his hearing was quite unimpaired,' said Umbridge smugly. "'He heard every word Potter said, and hastened straight to the school to report to me.' "'Oh, so that's why he wasn't prosecuted for setting up all those regurgitating toilets.' said Professor McGonagall, raising her eyebrows. What an interesting insight into our justice system. Blatant corruption, roared the portrait of the corpulent, red-nosed wizard on the wall behind Dumbledore's desk. The Ministry did not cut deals with petty criminals in my day. No, sir, they did not. Thank you, Fortescue, that will do, said Dumbledore softly. The purpose of Potter's meetings with these students, continued Professor Umbridge, was to persuade them to join an illegal society whose aim was to learn spells and curses that the Ministry has deemed inappropriate for school age. I think you'll find that you're wrong there, Dolores, said Dumbledore quietly, peering at her over the half-moon spectacles perched halfway down his crooked nose. Harry stared at him. He could not see how Dumbledore was going to talk him out of this one. If Willie Wittershins had indeed heard every word he had said in the Hogshead, there was simply no escaping it. Ooh, said Fudge, bouncing up and down on the balls of his feet again. 
yes, do let's hear the latest uh, cock and bull story designed to pull Potter out of trouble. Go on, then, double dog, go on. Willy Wittishins was uh, uh, lying, was he? Or oh, 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 was it uh, Potter's identical twin in the hogshead that day? Or is there the unusual, um, uh, the, uh, the usual simple explanation of reversal of time, a dead man coming back to life in a, a couple of invisible dementors? Percy Weasley let out a good hearty laugh. <laughs> oh, oh, very good, minister, very good. Harry could have kicked him. Then he saw to his astonishment that Dumbledore was smiling gently too. Cornelius, I do not deny, and nor I am sure does Harry, that he was in the Hogshead that day, nor that he was trying to recruit students to a defense against the Dark Arts group. I am merely pointing out that Dolores is quite wrong to suggest that such a group was, at that time, illegal. If you remember, the Ministry decree banning all of the student societies was not put into effect until two days after Harry's Hogsmeade meeting, so he was not breaking any rules at all in the Hogshead. Percy looked as though he had been struck in the face by something very heavy. Fudge remained motionless in mid-bounce, his mouth hanging open. Umbridge recovered first. That is all very fine, Minister. Nope. That's all very fine, Headmaster, she said, smiling sweetly. But we are now nearly six months on from the introduction of Educational Decree Number 24. If the first meeting was not illegal, all those that have happened since most certainly are. Well, said Dumbledore, surveying her with polite interest over the top of his interlocking fingers, they certainly would be, if they had continued after the decree came into effect. Do you have any evidence to suggest that such meetings continued? As Dumbledore spoke, Harry heard a rustle behind him, and rather thought that Kingsley... Hmm. What? I'm confused. Shirty Lobster, welcome to the Scooter Patrol. <laughs> Let's see. What's going on with this sentence? As Dumbledore spoke, Harry heard a rustle behind him, and rather thought Kingsley whispered something. Huh. He could have sworn, too, that he felt something brush against his side. A gentle something, like a draught or bird wings. But looking down, he saw nothing there. Evidence, repeated Umbridge, with that horrible, wide, toad-like smile. Have you not been listening, Dumbledore? Why do you think Miss Edgecombe is here? Oh, she can tell us about six months' worth of meetings, said Dumbledore, raising his eyebrows. I was under the impression that she was merely reporting a meeting tonight. Miss Edgecombe, said Umbridge at once, tell us how long these meetings have been going on, my dear. You can simply nod or shake your head. I am sure that it won't make the spots worse. Have they been happening regularly over the last six months? Harry felt a horrible plummeting in his stomach. This was it. They'd hit a dead end of solid evidence that not even Dumbledore would be able to shift aside. Just nod or shake your head, dear, Umbridge said coaxingly to Marietta. Come on now, it won't reactivate the jinx. Everyone in the room was gazing at the top of Marietta's face. 
Only her eyes were visible between the pulled-up robes and her curly fringe. Perhaps it was a trick of the light, but her eyes looked oddly blank. And then, to Harry's utter amazement, Marietta shook her head. Umbridge looked quickly at Fudge, then back at Marietta. I, mm, I don't think you understand the question, did you, my dear? I'm asking you whether you have been going to these meetings for the past six months. You have, haven't you? Again, Marietta shook her head. What do you mean by shaking your head, dear? said Umbridge in a testy voice. I would have thought her meaning quite clear, said Professor Umbridge harshly. There have been no secret meetings for the past six months. Is that correct, Miss Edgecombe? Marietta nodded. Sorry for the Umbridge voice. I'm still at only 95%, and apparently Professor McGonagall's the one who still has the illness. <laughs> but there was a meeting tonight, said Umbridge furiously. There was a meeting, Miss Edgecombe, you told me about it, in the Room of Requirement, and Potter was the leader. Was he not? Potter organized it. Potter, why are you shaking your head, girl? Well, usually when a person shakes their head, said McGonagall coldly, they mean no. So unless Miss Edgecombe is using a form of sign language as of yet unknown to humans. Professor Umbridge seized Marietta, pulling her around to face her and began shaking her very hard. A split second later, Dumbledore was on his feet, his wand raised. Kingsley started toward started forward, and Umbridge leapt back from Marietta, waving her wand, waving her hand in the air as though they had been burned. "'I cannot allow you to manhandle my students, Dolores,' said Dumbledore, and for the first time he looked angry. "'You will want to control yourself, Madame Umbridge,' said Kingsley in his slow, deep voice. "'You do not want to get yourself into trouble now.' No, said Umbridge breathlessly, glancing at the towering figure of Kingsley. I mean, yes, you're right, Shacklebolt. I... I forget myself. Marietta was standing exactly where Umbridge had released her. She seemed neither perturbed by Umbridge's sudden attack, nor relieved by her release. She was still clutching her robe up to her oddly blank eyes and staring straight ahead of her. A sudden suspicion connected to Kingsley's whisper, and the thing that he had felt shoot past him sprang into Harry's mind. Uh, Dolores, said Fudge, with an air of trying to settle something once and for all, the, the, the meeting tonight, the one that we know definitely happened. Yes, said Umbridge, pulling herself together. Yes. Well, Miss Edgecombe tipped me off, and I proceeded at once to the seventh floor, accompanied by certain... Trustworthy students, so as to catch those in the meeting red-handed. It appears that they were forewarned of my arrival, however, because when we reached the seventh floor, they were running in every direction. It does not matter, however. I have all their names here. Miss Parkinson ran into the room of requirement for me to see if they had left anything behind. We needed evidence, and the room provided. And to Harry's horror... She withdrew from her pocket the list of names that had been pinned upon the Room of Requirements hall, wall, and handed it to Fudge. The moment I saw Potter's name on the list, I knew what we were dealing with.
she said softly. Excellent, said Fudge, a smile spreading across his face. Excellent. Dolores Hender, ah, by thunder. He looked up at Dumbledore, who was still standing beside Marietta, his wand held loosely in his hand. And you, 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 you see what they've named themselves, said Fudge quietly. Dumbledore's army. Dumbledore reached out and took the piece of parchment from Fudge. He gazed at the heading scribbled by Hermione months before and for a moment seemed unable to speak. Then he looked up, smiling. Well, the game is up, he said simply. Would you like a written confession from me, Cornelius, or will the statement before these witnesses suffice? Harry saw McGonagall and Kingsley look at each other. There was fear in both faces. He did not understand what was going on, and nor apparently did Fudge. Statement, said Fudge slowly. What? I don't... Uh, uh. Dumbledore's army, Cornelius, said Dumbledore. Still smiling as he waved the list of names before Fudge's face. Not Potter's army... Dumbledore's army. Eh, but, but, but... Understanding blazed suddenly in Fudge's face. He took a horrified step backward, yelped, and jumped out of the fire again. You, he whispered, stamping again on his smoldering cloak. That's right, said Dumbledore pleasantly. You, you organized this. I did, said Dumbledore. You re recruited these students for for, for your, your army. Tonight was supposed to be the first meeting, said Dumbledore, nodding, merely to see whether they would be interested in joining me. I now see that it was a mistake to invite Miss Edgecombe, of course. Marietta nodded. Fudge looked from her to Dumbledore, his chest swelling. Then you have been plotting against me, he yelled. That's right, said Dumbledore cheerfully. No, shouted Harry. Kingsley flashed a look of warning at him. McGonagall widened her eyes threateningly, but it had suddenly dawned upon Harry what Dumbledore was about to do, and he could not let it happen. No, Professor Dumbledore. Be quiet, Harry, or I'm afraid you will have to leave my office, said Dumbledore calmly. Yes, shut up, Potter, barked Fudge, who was still ogling Dumbledore with a kind of horrified delight. Well, 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 well. I came here tonight, expecting to expel Potter, and instead... Instead, you get to arrest me, said Dumbledore, smiling. It's like losing a nut and finding a galleon, isn't it? Weasley, cried Fudge, now positively quivering with delight. Weasley, have you written it all down? Everything he said in uh, his confession. Have you got it? Uh, yes, sir. I think so, sir, said Percy eagerly, whose nose was splattered from ink from the speed of his note-taking. You, you got the bit about how he's been trying to build up an army against the ministry. How he's been working to destabilize me. Yes, sir. Uh, I've got it. Yes, said Percy, scanning his notes joyfully. 
Very well, then, said Fudge, now radiant with glee. Duplicate your notes, Weasley, and send a copy to the Daily Prophet at once. If we send a fast owl, we should be able to make the morning edition. Percy dashed from the room, slamming the door behind him, and Fudge turned back to Dumbledore. You will now be escorted back to the Ministry, where you will be formally charged, and then sent to Azkaban to await trial. <sighs> said Dumbledore gently. Yes, as I, I, I thought we might hit that little snag. Snag, said Fudge, his voice still vibrating with joy. I see no snag, Dumbledore. Well, said Dumbledore apologetically, I'm afraid I do. Oh, really? Well, it's just... You seem to be laboring under the delusion that I'm going to... Uh, what is the phrase? Come quietly. I'm afraid I am not going to come quietly at all, Cornelius. I have absolutely no intention of being sent to Azkaban. I could break out, of course, but what a waste of time. And frankly, I can think of a whole host of things I would rather be doing. Umbridge's face was growing steadily redder. She looked as though she had been filled with boiling water. Fudge stared at Dumbledore with a very silly expression on his face, as though he had just been stunned by a sudden blow and could not believe what was happening. He made a small choking noise, then looked around at Kingsley and the man with the short gray hair, who alone of everyone in the room had remained entirely silent so far. The latter gave Fudge a reassuring nod and moved forward a little away from the wall. Harry saw his hand drift almost casually toward his pocket. "'Don't be silly, Dawlish,' said Umbledore kindly. "'I'm sure you are quite an excellent order. I seem to remember that you received an outstanding in all of your NEWTs, but if you attempt to uh, bring me in by force, I will have to hurt you.' The man called Dawlish blinked rather foolishly. He looked toward Fudge again, but this time he seemed to be hoping for some clue as to what to do next. So, sneered Fudge, recovering himself, you, you intend to take on Dawlish, Shacklebolt, Dolores, and myself single-handed, do you, Dumbledore? Merlin's beard, no, said Dumbledore, smiling. Not unless you are foolish enough to force me to. He will not be single-handed, said Professor McGonagall loudly, plunging her hand inside her robes. Oh, yes, he will, Minerva, said Dumbledore sharply. Hogwarts needs you. Enough of this rubbish, said Fudge, pulling out his wand. Dawlish, Shacklebolt, take him! A streak of silver light flashed across the room. There was a bang like a gunshot, and the floor trembled. A hand grabbed Harry by the scruff of the neck and forced him down on the floor as a second silver flash went off. Several of the portraits yelled. Fox screeched, and a sound of dust filled the air. A cloud of dust, excuse me. Coughing in the dust, Harry saw a dark figure fall to the ground with a crash in front of him. There was a shriek and a thud, and somebody cried, No! Then there was the sound of breaking glass, frantically scuffling footsteps, a groan, and silence.
Are you all right? Dumbledore asked. Yes, said Professor McGonagall, getting up and dragging Harry and Marietta with her. Oh, I missed a bit. Sorry. Harry struggled to see who was half strangling him and saw Professor McGonagall crouched beside him. She had forced both him and Marietta out of harm's way. Dust was still floating gently down through the air around them. Panting slightly, Harry saw a very tall figure moving toward them. "'Are you all right?' Dumbledore asked. "'Yes,' said Professor McGonagall, getting up and dragging Harry and Marietta toward her. The dust was clearing. The wreckage of the office loomed into view. Dumbledore's desk had been overturned. All of the spindly tables had been knocked to the floor, their silver instruments in pieces. Fudge, Umbridge, Kingsley, and Dawlish lay motionless on the floor. Fox the phoenix soared in wide circles above them, singing softly. "'Unfortunately, I had to hex Kingsley, too, or it would have looked very suspicious,' said Dumbledore in a low voice. "'He was remarkably quick on the uptake, modifying Miss Edgecombe's memory like that while everyone was looking the other way. Thank him for me, won't you, Minerva?' Now, they will very soon awaken, and it would be best if they did not know that we had time to communicate. You must act as though no time has passed, as though they uh, were merely knocked to the ground. They will not remember. Where will you go, Dumbledore? whispered McGonagall. Grimwald Place? Oh, no, said Dumbledore, with a grim smile. I'm not leaving you to go into hiding. Fudge will soon wish he had never dislodged me from Hogwarts, I promise you. Professor Dumbledore, Harry began. He didn't know what to say first. How sorry he felt that he had started the DA in the first place and caused all of this trouble. How terrible he felt that Dumbledore was leaving to save him from expulsion. But Dumbledore cut him off before he could say another word. Listen to me, Harry he said urgently. You must study occlumency as hard as you can. Do you understand me? Do everything Professor Snape tells you and practice it particularly every night before sleeping so that you can close your mind to bad dreams. You will understand why soon enough, but you must promise me. The man called Dawlish was stirring. Dumbledore seized Harry's wrist. Remember, close your mind. But as Dumbledore's fingers closed over Harry's skin, a pain shot through his scar on his forehead, and he felt again that terrible snake-like longing to strike Dumbledore, to hurt him, to bite him. "'You will understand,' whispered Dumbledore. Fox circled the office and swooped low over him. Dumbledore released Harry raised his hand and grasped the phoenix's long golden tail. There was a flash of fire, and the pair of them were gone. Where, where is he? yelled Fudge, pushing himself up from the floor. Where is he? I don't know, shouted Kingsley, also leaping to his feet. Well, he can't have disapparated, cried Umbridge. You can't do that from within this school. "'They're stairs!' cried Dawlish. He flung himself upon the floor, <laughs> flung himself upon the door, wrenched it open and disappeared, followed closely by Kingsley and Umbridge. Fudge hesitated, 
then got slowly to his feet, brushing dust from his front. There was a long and painful silence. Well, Minerva, said Fudge nastily, straightening his torn shirt sleeve. I'm uh, afraid that this is the end of your dear friend Dumbledore. Mm, you think so, do you? said Professor McGonagall scornfully. Fudge seemed not to hear her. He was looking around at the wrecked office. A few of the portraits hissed at him. One or two even made rude hand gestures. You better get those two off to bed, said Fudge, looking back at Professor McGonagall with a di dismissive nod toward Harry and Marietta. Professor McGonagall said nothing, but marched Harry and Henrietta to the door. As it swung closed behind them, Harry heard Phineas Nigellus's voice. You know, Minister, I disagree with Dumbledore on many counts, but you can't deny he's got style. And that's the end of the chapter. If you are listening to this, uh, it is about to start. The next chapter is about to start on uh, the, the YouTube premiere. So if you're listening to this on YouTube, um, of course, it is on a one-week delay, which means that right now, go over to Mixer, where I'm going to be starting the next chapter. For those of you who are already here joining me on Mixer and Discord, hello, welcome. <laughs> You've been here for a while. We've been hanging out for a grip. Let's head back up. Back to the library. I hope y'all have enjoyed the hat, the 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 chapter. I hope y'all enjoyed the chapter. I hope you've enjoyed the chapter. Um, Mr. Foo said this is the most ba Dumbly has ever been. Uh, Shirty Lobster says this is sick, and I very much appreciate it. Uh, I think it's pretty sick too. I love doing it. Uh, very glad to have you here. And uh, anyone else who's watching, any lurkers, any little house elves who are hanging out in the background, um, we love you. We're glad to have you here. Um, so, Tuna Sunday says, I learned I can post a groundhog in chat. <laughs> you can indeed. Wearing what looks like a bikini top. Very cool. Very, very cool, my man. <laughs> Always exciting. Mr. Fu says, oh my goodness, a hundred thousand sparks. Yeah, yes, indeed. Tuna watches me frequently. Um... Tuna Tuna helps me out with a lot of stuff with this actually. <laughs> he's uh he does he's he's sort of my my uh informal stream producer for for uh what we do here. I, I this channel would not be sort of what it is without Tuna. Yeah, he's my Tuna helper. <laughs> Coop, you're exactly right. Tuna helper. Which by the way, yep, Foos, Tuna is Nate. Tuna and Nate, Nate and Tuna, the chapter president of the Midwest chapter of the Storytime Motorcycle Club, Storytime MC. Um, let's see. Coop is saying, uh, used to play piano, harp, guitar, little saxophone, an occasional church organ. That is a pretty cool list. My family added French horn, recorder, bagpipes, etc. But yes, harps are cool. My, uh... My followers are pretty unique. I like it a lot. I enjoy it quite a lot. Yep, all the followers. All of y'all in the scooter patrol. 
Sergeant at Arms of the Scooter Patrol. <laughs> Rachel says, no music for me, but I paint and draw. Um, that actually brings up something interesting that I, I, I don't even remember when it came up. I think it was when we were talking about Ferenz, but um, I'm super excited because uh, the place where I work might let me start teaching um, uh, workshops on how to be a GM slash DM. Um, I just talked about it with my boss uh, recently. And for those of you who don't know, this is my other like, so I've, I've got... I've got a number of things in my life that are very important to me, but I really enjoy streaming. I enjoy it quite a bit. I enjoy the streaming specifically for like the voice acting and the reading. Um, I am a writer. I'm a screenwriter and uh, I'm currently working on a historical, uh, a historical drama. Um, it's a uh, pilot for a show. I really like writing for TV. Um, I would, I would, uh, I'd be interested. I'd be curious about writing a feature, like a, a, a regular, like a film, but um the the writer's life for a feature writer is pretty solitary they do a lot of their writing on their own or just like with a partner and i like the the tv format with you with a, a writer's room and that sort of thing so i do that but uh i also really really love rpgs and uh, it's something that i intend to introduce here on the channel at some point um, it's not going to be an extra stream it's likely going to land on uh one of the days that i already stream uh, but keep an eye out for it um and uh it's going to be interesting. I want to run an RPG for chat, but um, I have been a dungeon master for, you know, D&D. I've been a game master for other games as well, and uh, I'm going to be hopefully soon uh, able to run some workshops on it. It's going to be my first time ever sort of formally teaching a class. Um, if you want to hear more about what I do and uh, um, the sort of, <laughs> I guess, you know, it would be I, the closest thing I do now to teaching is Vintage Sidecar, which is on Tuesdays. And right now we are reading through uh, Frankenstein. We are having some amazing discussions about those after the chapters. So we just finished up with chapter four. Um, check it out on Tuesday mornings. It's morning for me. Um, but uh, that's Vintage Sidecar, and we've had a great time discussing it. So if you ever are just, you want to get a better sense of some classic literature, or um, you've got a paper to write on Frankenstein, or you've got some essay coming up, definitely go check it out. We get into some real good depth about the characters and about all the the themes and the setting and uh, all the things that are going to be covered on the reduction that you're going to have to write for the story anyways <laughs> um coop says i miss acting I miss the stage in general as do i it's a it's a it's a great time. I was in a, a number of musicals when I was uh, back in my hometown, and I was actually in one since moving out here as well. But uh, I was in. Let's see. Let's review. Let's review the roles real quick, shall we? I was actually. Can anybody guess? I'll I'll tell you what the musical was, and I want y'all to guess who I played in the musical. So let's start with. By the way, Nate, you're not allowed to play this one, unfortunately. Um. And don't worry, we're doing beans. I have remembered. Um, but uh, I was in Oliver the Musical. So go ahead and guess who I played in that. I was in Tarzan. I was in, let's see. Um, I was in, um, uh, oh, shoot, what is that thing called? What's that dang old thing called? It's the Monty Python, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Um, Michelle said, Michelle is guessing Dodger. That's the, that's the one guess we've got so far. What other guesses do you have? Don't know those well enough, says Liberty Grace. That's fine. That's fair. Um, so 
We've got uh, on the table. I don't think I was in any more musicals. I was in other shows. I was in uh, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot, which is a fantastic show. Um, I was in um, uh, Streetcar Named Desire. And uh, in that one, I just played uh, The Upstairs Neighbor, which is a, a pretty small part, but it was a lot of fun. Um, okay, we've got some more. Uh, we've got some more guesses. Coop is wondering if I played Fagin. I did not. Um, actually, one of my friends played Fagin, and uh, we played D&D together now. <laughs> um in uh, in Mixer, we've got some guesses. Uh, Michelle is saying King Arthur. Uh, Michelle's also saying maybe Sykes. This is, of course, um, the uh, bouncing back and forth between a couple of different ones. But Mr. Foose is saying Gorilla in Tarzan. So, Street, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so uh, Tuna is bringing up streetcars where uh, Sam and I rekindled our love, and it is indeed. Um, Nate and I knew each other in high school, but um, we, and we'd been in a couple of shows together. Well, we'd been in a show together. Um, he did more theater stuff than I did when we were in high school, but um, we were in um, All My Sons together. All, all My Sons, right? Why does that sound wrong? Um, was in that. Uh, we were in that together, and... Um, we weren't like super, super close friends. Um, you know, we were, we were like, we were solid acquaintances at the time, but since then, like he has absolutely become, uh, a very, very good friend to me. And I, I've appreciated his company and appreciated all the, all the enthusiasm he's helped, uh, with this, um, this project here. I don't think I'd be streaming without, without him. He, he, he donated the first laptop that I streamed on. So for, for, uh, let's see, like three books. Y'all were, y'all were listening to me stream via a laptop that he donated to me. So the, the channel, um, sidecar stories as a whole, all of us here owe a lot to tuna Sunday slash my friend Nate. Um, but, uh, yeah, streetcar. Um, he, he came and saw me in streetcar and, uh, he and uh, a number of other people, including, uh, well, I, d I don't want to like connect too many dots in my life because I try to keep things private for the people who are um, associated with me. But um, that that group that came to Streetcar was amazing and uh, we've become very, very good friends. Um, but here's the list. In Oliver, I played Bill Sykes. Uh, I enjoyed that one a lot. Um <laughs> Uh, I got to, I got to really sort of, it was the first time I got to kind of, no, it wasn't. No, I did some, I did some kind of a sort of an old, old older Midwestern guy for, uh, for all my sons. And then in, uh, as Bill Sykes, I got to sing a little bit like that. The director wanted me to tone it down a bit. I still feel it would have been a good addition, but, uh, uh, nobody mentions my name. Uh, Mr. Foo says that's a Gatsby voice for Tom. And yes, it is indeed. Um, strong men tremble when they hear it. <laughs> it's much blacker than I smear it. Uh, boy, do I remember any of the rest of that song? Uh, nobody mentions my name. Uh, that was a fun one. Uh, I got to be a villain. It's really fun to be a villain. Which reminds me, um, in Tarzan, I played a non-singing role, but, uh, I was Clayton in Tarzan. Ang click or Ange click. Hello, welcome. You're catching us on the tail end of a stream here. I'm just running through the uh, the stage roles that I've had so far. Um, so Oliver, the musical, I played Sykes. 
in um, uh, in Tarzan, I played Clayton, which was a non-singing role, but man, was it a fun time. Uh, and then in um, uh, <laughs> in Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I did indeed play King Arthur. And that one, that I still use that uh, that song for for uh, auditions. I guess I I used it when I was doing auditioning more regularly. But uh, I'm all alone, all by myself. There is no one here beside me. I'm all alone. It's so much fun because my voice, my singing voice, is really conducive to that sort of like big, doofy musical theater sound. Um, and so I really got to uh, play around with that a lot in uh, in Oliver, not Oliver and Company, um, in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. So yeah, I miss it. Um, but yeah, and click. Hope I'm saying that right. Welcome. Good to see you. But uh, yeah, Mr. Foos has rightly pointed out that uh, my, my uh, the, the voice that I picked for, for... Tom in Great Gatsby is the same one that I used back in high school when I played the father in All My Sons. That's right. I played the father. Welcome to Scooter Patrol. <laughs> Welcome to Scooter Patrol and click. Let's see. General in Discord is saying she's sleep deprived. Hope you can get some sleep. And uh, yeah, I hope you all had a great night. I hope you all enjoyed this. Again, um, at the end of this video, if you're watching this on the YouTube premiere, that means that we are moments away, minutes away, from starting the next chapter on Mixer. For those of you who are already watching me live right now, so good to have you here. Um, I really appreciate this and uh, the the warm welcome. The, you know what? More important to me than the warm welcome um, is those of you who have, have stuck with me uh, after, you know, I had to go quiet for like a couple of months, essentially. And so, yeah, I just want you to know I appreciate it an awful lot. Um, the people who have supported me um, in uh, in enthusiasm, like Cassidy and Nate and, uh, and uh, Michaela, especially with the beans, which are coming up next. I have to summon my assistant. I have to I have to dodge behind the invisibility cloak really quick. My dear sweet assistant, it's time for the beans. It's time for the beans. You need an M mask. Okay, they are indeed stinky. I hope everyone's staying safe and healthy out there. Um, what's going on? It's all wonked up. It's all wonk. Scream go wonky. It's all right. Um, so uh, this is not a green screen issue. This is uh, Fox the Phoenix is flying around up there and I can't get him to come down. Um, there is a hole in your library. It's all good. No, it's a, it's a, it's, this is a Phoenix feather. This here, Phoenix tail feather right here. Right, right there, Phoenix tail feather. Ilnakis, well, that one I'm not even gonna. <laughs> I have no confidence I've gotten that correctly. Yeah, it's on the other side. It's all weird because I want people to be able to read my shirt. I want people to read my shirt. Sidecar stories. You can thank uh, Cassidy and uh, Miss Frizzle, I believe she goes by. So Cassidy's holding her breath because there is a there's a power there there be a powerful. 
sonically <laughs> the worst. <laughs> As uh, one of my favorite podcasts like to say, it's uh, my brother, my brother and me, but uh, oh, it's rank. Okay, so we, yeah, we keep these beans sealed away in a small Tupperware container. Thank you. <laughs> You're so good at this. Um, and it just sort of packs in the stank. It is a real, it is a real foot flavor stank is what it is. It is a foot flavored stank we're dealing with. But this is Birdie Bot's Every Flavor Beans. And as a result of uh, y'all doing a fantastic job of telling people about the channel and, and linking it to people and, you know, spreading the word about sidecar stories. Y'all been spreading that word. And uh, I really appreciate it. So as an appreciation... <laughs> So bad. We're doing the beans. I eat the beans. I try to guess what the beans is. But we're doing it. So, let me get... Where's the... Oh, here we go. I've got my hat with me this time. Here we go. So, I take them blind and I have to guess what they are. Um, it's about, I would say in the current mix, it's about a 50-50, whether it's going to be a good bean or a bad bean. But I'll admit, the good ones have not been super great recently. They've been like, they've, beans that are supposed to be good flavored, um, but they don't taste great. I won't look at chat. It's a bad one. That's going to be rotten yes. egg. That's rotten egg. It's not rotten egg. You got to wait for me to give my final answer. Again, I gotta, I gotta run through my three options. Times. I gotta give a final answer. I gotta be able to run through these, otherwise it's just me sitting here munching on a bean silently for, for all these people. Yeah. Um, it's a bad one. And click says, "Hope you get a good one." I didn't. Um. Hmm. Is this going to be that, I think it's going to be like kitchen sink or something. By the way, we, we added a bunch of new beans in the mix recently. And uh, as such, my guesses are like even more terrible than usual. I think that's my final answer. Kitchen sink. Nope. No? What am I dealing with here? Spoiled milk. Spoiled milk? Okay. I get it. It's got that sort of like, it's got spoiled. There's, there is spoil in it somehow. I initially assumed it was a uh, spoilt egg. It's spoilt milk. It's not good. All right, I'm ready for my next one. It's got a weird like banana flavor to it. That's not fun. It makes it much worse that it's got like a sort of banana flavor to it. I haven't gotten better at showing the beans. I also have, there's another bad one. Cool, cool, cool. I, it's a bad one for sure. There's, there's my, there's a final answer. There's my final category. It's a bad one. It's got that weird green pepper thing that they use for, that they use for like grass and earthworm. And I don't remember my options with the new batch. Um, it's not earthworm. It's got a weird caramel flavor to it too. Ew. Green pepper and caramel. Ew. Oh, yes, most definitely you. <laughs> yes, indeed. Let's see. Oh, yeah, you. Yeah, you for show. Hmm. I don't like chewing on them. I don't want to <laughs> chew on it anymore. Um. I don't know. I don't know. 
I'm gonna have to. Is it gonna? Is it booger? Is it? I guess. Yeah. Oh my lord! I got one. I, I threw up at the very at the very end of last time, or at the very end of this bean. I mean, I remembered last time there was one which, like, I had no idea what it was, and it ended up being booger. So there it is. I got one. I'm one for two this week. Bean, bean go wonky. Sam, bean makes Sam go wonky. You get three more, right? Oh, three more. Yep. Yeah, you can put the, put the lid back on this this uh, necrotic waste. It's nasty. Okay, I'm ready for the next one. Liberty Grace says, "I hope no beans were harmed in the making. Earthworms were harmed in the making of these beans. Chunky milk is the best milk. Please do not. Um, I'm gonna go uh, see." can see a little what bit. A choice. Hold what on, a choice. hold on. I can see. It. There we go. What a choice. I'm ready. Don't say that. Don't say that words. Don't use them words. Boy. Do different words about it. Well, see, the thing with these ones is I don't know if they're going to be bad or good. I have absolutely no idea. Good. So you don't have to worry about it. That's how you want it to be. This one is a bad one. <laughs> it's a bad one. Okay. I can't look at chat because they're going to remind me, but there was one last week that I had, which had like a weird sweet and then it had like a smoky flavor to it. Is this vomit? You, do, I, it's not my final answer yet. No, it doesn't have that vomity thing to it. Oh, that sucks. It smells like cat food is what it smells like. I'm going to go with dog food. Final answer. No? Dead fish. Dead fish? So dog food. <laughs> so cat food. So cat food. <sighs> it's no good, folks. No goo. No goo. Coop Miller says, bean go wonky. It's weird when the green screen doesn't let you see the bean. <laughs> the booger one was green. Gotcha. It had a green aura around the outside. Around the outside. Yeah, so rotten fish has a deep deep flavor that I have come to associate with the smell of cat food. And then you finally answered it. Ugh. Because I thought I remembered dog food being an option. She's hearing you say food. <laughs> she's hearing us say food and cat and, and our food cat. Because let's be honest, she's a food cat. Is, uh... Oh, yeah. <laughs> she's she's not a foodie. She's not she's not particular enough. She likes her yogurt and her apples and the lettuce. She a freak. All right. Airbnb. Um, let's do B. We're going reverse order. Uh, quick reminder to y'all. Um, have not had any water since about the last quarter of the chapter, which means I'm just stacking nasty bean flavors onto each other at this point. Is there an airplane coming in? There it is. Thanks. Okay. I just want one good one. I have fear now. I have fear in my heart. Got some acidity to it. Thank the Lord it's a good one. Okay. This one, it's got some... Either way, it wouldn't have been that bad. Okay. What does that mean? What sort of weird, strange person do you think I am that would enjoy one of the bad options in there? I think... 
look at the bad options. Here's the problem. Tell me what would make me think that. I don't know the difference between fruit flavors. <laughs> when it comes to fake fruit flavors, I can't tell different fruits apart. I'm going to guess, well, you, okay, see, I was going to say orange, but you don't love the orange ones typically. So I'm going to change my guess now. That's right. It's I'm like Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> no, I'll get it right, right. I don't, I don't want an asterisk. Hmm. <laughs> In Mixer, Tuna has provided us with Food Cat. There's a little, there's a little sticker that's a. But I am looking at the chat, though, is the thing. I'm looking at the mixer chat. Um, There's a a little sticker that's a macaroon that's shaped like a cat. Um, Let's see. It's one of the fruit ones. It's a mild fruit one. I'm going to go cherry. Why not cherry? Why the heck not? No? What is it? I don't know. Berry blue, which is basically blue. Berry blue? Get out of here. It's not even fake fruit flavor. It's a fake flavor for a fake fruit. Can you guess what the other one, what the bad version of that is? Of blue. I'm going to guess it's like toothpaste? Yeah. Okay. You think I'm some sort of weird freak lad that loves toothpaste, you goose? (laughs) I didn't say you would like it. I said it wouldn't be that bad either way. Liberty Grace, how dare you? That's some that's some cast level rasin right there. Liberty Grace says, "I thought you'd like that." Liberty Grace says, "Sam can tell you when he's eating a booger. Cannot tell you what fruit he's eating." All right, all right. Now I'm getting I'm I'm getting solidly razzed. And Coop Miller says, "Bananas, I love banana flavor." Blech. There's actually, there's a cool, um, orange flavor is disgusting. There's a cool, uh, there's, it's the, the history of the banana flavor. Um, it's by a candy company in Florida and, uh, they talk about the, the origins of like banana, but apparently, um, there was a particular type of banana that was super popular. That's the one that banana flavor is based off of. And that banana went totally extinct. Um, and now we've got a banana called a Grand Michel or Big Mike. Unfortunately, they're also possibly on their way out. So why? Keep an eye on it, everybody. We gotta start planting banana trees. It's Niner time. Okay. Yes, it is. Here do we go. Grow in this climate. Where I do I need to go? Don't believe so. It's hot enough here. I'll just go down south. You just, you'll just Texas. go down south. I'm not going south with you. I'm afraid, I'm Holmes. Moving to Texas to save the bananas. I love you. Don't love south. Don't you love... love bananas. I don't love bananas that much. You love bananas. I don't love bananas enough to be miserable. We won't be miserable. We'll be happy because we're saving bananas. (laughs) Of all the things. Of all the things. All right. Final final bean of the night. Focus. You can see my weird toe thumb. That's a shot. Ow. Okay. I'm hoping for another. I'm getting overtones. I'm getting some vanilla overtones, but again, it's tough because i haven't bit into it yet and that outer shell always has the vanilla i think it's supposed to be a good one i think you'd know this right away if it wants it 
This batch is weird. Coop says, because of the diseases. The banana story is a pretty sad tale of monoculture. And he's right. Okay. I think it's supposed to be a good one. That's the tough one about this batch. This most recent batch that I've gotten, the good ones are like a little, a little off. You can tell they're not supposed to taste bad. They're just like sweet in a bad way. I don't know. Um, is it cotton candy? Final answer. No. Not even. I'm gonna get a lot of these wrong before I get to know the back it's of this peach. box. It's peach. <laughs> It's peach. It's a peach. Shout out to Jenna Marbles. What are you doing? Ooh. Yeah, you. What did I do? You goose. What did I do? Just, you're just giving random shout outs to people. Yeah, Jenna Marbles, <laughs> aka Queen. There you go. Go listen to Jenna Marbles, everybody. Get all of her subscribers to come to Sidecar <laughs> Big Mike. Big Mike. Well, everyone, thank you so much for watching. Um, I am going to... Jade Dragon says, did you get a bad batch? I don't think I got a bad batch. I just think the the flavors aren't great. I've never enjoyed, like, fruit-flavored candy in any way. Don't love... I Like, I've come around to orange suckers recently, but... <laughs> but, like... None of the fruit flavored stuff, uh, not jelly beans, not fruit by the foot, not um, uh, like Starburst, not Skittles, especially not Skittles. I just don't like any of them. But uh, Scooter Patrol, Scooter Patrol, thank you so much for uh, for watching. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off for the night. But before I do, I'm going to be just dropping a bunch of stuff into chat just throwing it all into chat. Oh, look at that. Boom, boom. Oh, it's like a, it's a mess. It's just a mess of links. But uh, um, here we go. Final note for the night. Um, thank you all so much for watching. My name is Sam. This is Sidecar Stories, and we are signing off. If you are interested in uh, seeing more Sam stuff, then check out my schedule. It's down uh, below the mixer link or in the Discord. There's a whole channel dedicated to it. Check out the schedule. Come back and hang out. Shehanigan 66, have a great night. Good to see ya. Rachel, have a good one. Liberty Grace, Coop, General, Tuna, Ang Click. Those are the ones I can see right in front of me. Debbie, have a great night. I, uh, I hope you have a great week, and uh, I'll see y'all later. I'll be hanging out in the Discord for a little while afterwards. Wookie82, good night. Thanks for coming. I'll be hanging out in the Discord. Come say hi. All right. Good night, everybody. And Nate, I'm not going to forget to mute my mic this time. Bye-bye, <laughs> everybody.